0: The issue of family building in the military, which is very much Katie and my passion, due to our personal experiences. Whoever thought making a baby could be so hard? Luckily, the fertility journey isn't meant to be traveled alone. Eloise Drain has helped hundreds of people build and grow their families over the last 15 years, and she's ready to share her insider knowledge and expertise with you. So grab a seat and let's talk fertility and alternative
1: family building in the Fertility Café. Hello, and thank you for joining me on Fertility Cafe. Today, we get to talk about a topic that is actually near and dear to my heart, military families. Although my husband and I got together shortly after he left the military, it is still a very strong part of our lives. The stress of wanting to grow a family, but needing to weigh the financial costs and job costs of military service puts an unnecessary and unfair burden on military families. Military spouses are the backbone of the surrogacy community. I understand that 15 to 20% of surrogate babies nationwide are carried by military wives, even though the military makes up less than 1% of the U.S. population. So it's interesting how essential military spouses are to surrogacy, but how those in the military who struggle to build their own families supported and what sort of coverage and care is available to them. Turns out those who protect and serve are not receiving the care and coverage they deserve. Currently, U.S. military health care, TRICARE, does not cover many types of reproductive assistance or adoption for military families. This means that the vast majority of military couples who do not get pregnant in the windows they are physically together, timed with their duty responsibilities, or those who are in a same-sex couple relationship or those who choose to continue to serve but want to preserve their eggs or sperm and not provided with the means to do so as part of their military healthcare. Here to speak with us about the challenge to access and lack of affordability for family building solutions for military families are our guests and co-founders of the Military Family Coalition, Ellen Gustafson and Katie Bell Hendrickson. Ellen Gustafson is a social entrepreneur author, activist, and most importantly, mom and military spouse. She has done extensive work toward food system change, authoring We the Eaters, If We Can Change Dinner, We Can Change the World, co-founding Food Tank, the food think tank, giving four TED Talks on food system change and advising big food businesses like Perilla and startups like Food Stand. She is the co-founder of FEED and the FEED Foundation and the co-director of the Summit Institute since 2016. She is the mom of three miracle toddlers and lives with them and her husband in just season enough, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Her personal experiences inspired her to find ways to support active duty service members to build the families they want regardless of deployment schedules, fertility challenges or financial situations. Katie Bell Hendrickson is a military spouse to a retired career Naval Special Warfare officer and mother of five children. She and her husband have experience with adoption, assisted reproduction, and third-party reproduction. Katie has been active in the Warrior and Family Support Group Naval Amphibious Base Coronado as a senior peer mentor and has led multiple workshops on family building covering the topics of art and adoption. In her spare time, she is an architect by education and training, having spent the last decade working mainly in residential design and historic preservation. Katie currently lives in Washington DC with her husband, youngest son, and twin daughters. Military Family Coalition is a clearinghouse of information about infertility, adoption, and fertility preservation support for military members and families, educating them on options available and how to navigate the TRICARE policies that don't support non-coital fertility assistance. They support today's troops with cryopreservation, fertility treatments, and adoption by partnering with industry leaders and donors to support military members. It's also working to educate the public and advocate for change as the vast majority of Americans don't know that our government policies doesn't cover the costs of military families who need medical treatments or adoption to build their families. Welcome, Ellen and Katie. Very excited to speak on a topic, as I mentioned earlier, that is very near and dear to my heart. And as we get started, first, would you mind sharing about yourselves and your own experiences to parenthood and and Ellen, I'll pick on you first since E becomes before K.
0: <laughs> sure. No problem. Well, thank you so much for having us. We're, we're really happy to be here and to talk about the issue of family building in the military, which is very much Katie and my passion due to our personal experiences. Uh, my husband is an active duty naval officer. And um, when he was finished training out in San Diego and we were ready to, to get started um, with trying to have a family, um, we came to it knowing that my my family, my maternal side, had a five generation mystery of male stillbirth, and so I, I knew this going into trying to, to to have children. But with with something so nebulous as you know a history of stillbirth in my family, there's yeah as unfortunately in modern medicine today, there's still not much you can do other than try yourself. So um, our first attempt at getting pregnant, we did get pregnant. Unfortunately. It was a male, and while my husband was uh, deployed out of the country in a combat zone, I, I had my my stillbirth. You know, having the 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 process of the excitement of pregnancy, and then having your husband deploy, and then losing the pregnancy while he was gone, was of course incredibly stressful. Um, and. You know, we, we were told in the hospital uh, after, you know, upon my husband on the phone and, and me in, in labor, we were told that really the only, the only quote unquote answer was to do IVF and to try to have girls. Because due to this mystery of, of male fetal death, uh, there was no sort of medical diagnosis that we could say we could try to, to, to get at. So I started on, on on a journey of sort of a, a medically advised IVF and called Tricare, which is the military healthcare company, to say, okay, you know, I had this really expensive hospital visit due to a stillborn, and now I'm going to do this medical procedure that will mean I won't have another male, so I theoretically won't have another stillborn. And the answer was a cold hard no because Tricare does not cover any kind of fertility, uh, advanced fertility treatment. The policy is literally written that even for military families who are separated because of their job, that um, military healthcare will, will not cover non-coital reproductive procedures. So we were on our own and we went through six really hard IVF cycles, uh, despite having no fertility challenges. Um, We had two different doctors. It was over a span of years. I gave lots of injections to myself. Um, I even met a random military member on an airplane and I recognized his eyeglasses uh, or his sunglasses, sorry, as, as sort of military issued sunglasses. And I asked him to give me one of the shots. Uh, in an airport once <laughs> for my trigger shot. But... Um, hey, but you got to do what you got to do. Well, hey, listen, I was like, I know that guy's the military. I can see it. I can smell it. Yeah. So so um, after after our, our our long journey of um, six rounds of IVF, we, uh, at the end of the process, had made a, a bunch of healthy embryos, but also had gotten some great support um, from the Mayo Clinic. And we discovered the cause of fetal death in my family. The the We did a ton of research that we sort of offered up our genes to. And now um, the diagnosis is known it's written about in a prenatal diagnostic medical journal, and we were able to test our male embryos um, to see if any of them uh, you know, were okay and didn't have this diagnosis. And so the, the story ends uh, really happily for us. We um, at the end of knowing that we had healthy male embryos that did not have this disorder and we had one female uh, healthy embryo, we actually, um, after my, one of my husband's deployments, got naturally pregnant with a little girl who was our oldest. And then we then had boy, girl twins who um, were, are only 21 months younger than our older daughter. So very, very you know challenging process, like so many families go through, and of yeah. course complicated by you know five deployments and a lot of other absences. But our story ends happily, and it gave me a ton of fire in my gut to try to fix the problem for other military families.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Wow. So following that,
1: Um, What is your story?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'll jump in. And, you know, it's funny, Ellen and I work so closely together and yet I I get the chance to learn something new on air with you. Um, Ellen, I had no idea about the trigger shot, uh, but it really makes me, (laughs) (laughs) it, it makes me, you know, obviously recognize that within the military, we have this trust. Um, in in our own training and and our shared sort of DNA uh, in the oath of service and I'm not surprised you reached out and said hey if I just pulled down this part of my you know yoga <laughs> pant can you just I get did. that right where I need it three inches to the left um, so that's awesome uh, and to your point I mean you know you got to do what you got to do mm-hmm. so you know Ellen and I you know know each other's stories well and and of course you know there is uh, to to Give birth to a stillborn baby is is terrifically traumatic, um, and so the segue into my story I think is is this shared platform for loss. Um, I was widowed in my first marriage and came into my second marriage with three little ones, um, and um, we began our our family building journey uh, as a military family uh, with adoption, and that process uh, we learned a lot in the world of uh, you know, family building, adoption uh, has a special place in my heart. Our my sons were considered paternally orphaned, and so that process is is pretty involved, and we learned a lot. It it, it took us uh, a little over not a little over a year and a half to finalize it from start to finish, and. In that place uh, of understanding that whole process, our, our hearts were really open to uh, growing our family through adoption. So, we actually spent another two and a half years in that world looking at domestic adoption. Uh, and as Ellen mentioned, our, our husbands are in the same community, Naval Special Warfare. So, there's a, a high tempo to deployment and separation. And uh, we were, um, my husband was unaccompanied for, for much of that time. So geographically separated. And we just timed out in the adoption process. We we couldn't keep up with um, the number of home studies we we needed uh, because of some consecutive moves. It doesn't matter if, if you move across the street, if you have a change of address, you you go through the whole home study uh, process over and over again. And certainly for those military members who are considering adoption, moving from state to state um, and that constant cycle, it's hard, you, you really have to rely on You know, a lot of, a lot of timing and, and sometimes just good luck to get chosen within the window that you have your home study and, and you're permanently residing somewhere. So when we timed out of our, um, attempts at adoption, uh, we pivoted and, and really looked at advanced medical, you know, reproduction as a method that would work to our advantage, clearly not being together. And so jumped into ART and, and looked at both donor biology, uh, in the way of an egg donor, as well as, uh, gestational surrogacy. So we got very excited about that process. Um, it kind of tapped into both my husband and I's interest in, uh, you know, a little bit of science, but also everything that was happening, uh, In the world of ART and went through several rounds, uh, much like many people do. But um, I guess, you know, to really make this, you know, the full story, uh, it was our gestational surrogate where we had such a terrific relationship uh, and really the blessing of meeting someone who would be considered a permanent part of our family building efforts. And so we were very fortunate, uh, brought two uh, baby girls into the world, twins, uh, and they are 18 months old. Wow. Oh my gosh, you
0: have babies,
2: babies. We do. We have five, you know, all together, but a nice, I, you know, I like to say we didn't have them all at once. So there is um, some spacing there, but uh, it is a, you know, it's, it's really a testament. I think Ellen and I's stories to uh, where we became impassioned with uh, understanding how incredibly difficult this was, how um, emotionally challenging uh, the the type of um, focus and, you um, just determination that had to go along with it, in addition to the financial challenges. And, and all of those are terrific barriers for the
1: military member. Mm-hmm. Which leads me to that you guys are the co-founders of the Military Family Building Coalition, which is a nonprofit organization committed to supporting military families uh, and to help them build families that they want. Why, why was it necessary to create this organization in the first place?
0: Well, I'll, I'll jump in quickly. Katie and I met um, because she was organizing as a, as a military spouse volunteer, a series of workshops for military families in our Navy community about different family building issues. And when I walked in the door and sat down and thought, This is crazy that there are two, you know, a number of spouses in the room, some active duty members, but that this was a volunteer effort for something so unbelievably important as having a family and building a family. And that this was something that was just sort of like put off to the side as a, as a, oh, isn't that nice that these, that the spouses are getting together to talk about this? Uh, it, it it you know really Katie and I sort of had a shared sense of of drive and purpose but also that you know many people look at family building challenges and think that the answer that that, that the challenges are in many ways financial because it's incredibly expensive and it is really expensive for military families when it's you know as of course not a, a covered benefit but that that's not that's not it right it doesn't just end that it's expensive it's that there's so many barriers to even get there and so Katie and I started talking very casually and then, and then very intentionally. And over time, especially due to our our you know, sort of COVID lives and, and our, our constant conversations. And as our twins got older, hers and, and mine, we we realized that this wasn't just something that we were gonna be angry about or something that we were gonna, you know, try to help one off one at a time, one baby at a time, you know, helping spouses. This was this was policy change and this was big thinking, and that we were probably the only ones who 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 understood the problems and had the passion to go and try to change it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I you know, I it's it's a great recap of, of where we began. And and I also think what one of the things that Ellen and I recognized in each other as as partners in this process was this um, you know, commitment to the the strategic and the critical thinking that went behind uh, the resources we were going to put into this effort. Uh, and so that very much pointed us in the direction of a coalition. Uh, we were very clear from the very beginning that uh, partnering with the military's largest nonprofit organizations that share the space of family and family support was the actual platform, the, the launch pad for us. Uh, we did that incredibly effectively. Uh, uh, in part because uh, no other military organization addresses the area of family building uh, as it relates to reproductive health and in, and includes adoption so I, I think it was really this you know we looked at each other and really understood um, from our own backgrounds uh, certainly you know outside of just our roles uh, within the military as, as spouses that we had that capacity to think differently about this topic and how to solve it mm-hmm you know,
1: and obviously infertility is a challenge for all who face it, but how are active duty service members faced with additional bureaucratic and logistical obstacles that they have to endure?
0: Well, so there's, there's two things I can jump in with. Number one is we we say that, you know, the military itself is a family building challenge in many ways. When when you are separated from your partner due to your service, which you are choosing and you are you know ha- happy to be a, a voluntary member of the military, um, when you know when when part of that duty and that service to the country means that you have to be physically separated, not by your own choice, not by your own you know uh, timing, uh, that. In and it of itself, can be a family-building challenge. So d- not only deployments, but training trips and and you know all the other f- separations, working nights, for example, means that you can't always be home with your partner during the times uh, that that you you know are able to to potentially try to to have children. Plus, we have a diverse military that that you know looks like the the diverse American population. So we have same-sex partners, and we have single people that want to have children, and we you know we have a, a, a broad scope of the american public serving voluntarily and that their life is made more challenging due to military service and that's not even to touch on what might be problematic in terms of chemical exposures some of the uniforms flying in airplanes might make your fertility challenged hormonal imbalances that might come from your service so these are all elements the second thing that 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 we we sort of look at as a, as an overarching challenge is that most people in their jobs And, and who have health insurance who are looking for coverage for this issue of infertility. It's a medical issue. They're looking for coverage. They're going to go back to their company and they're going to go to their HR department. They're going to say, Hey, HR, you know, we really would love it if you would, if you would provide some kind of fertility benefit or egg freezing or sperm preservation or whatever it is in the military. You don't have an HR department to go to you're going to your 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 next you know your next level up commanding officer and then they're going to their next level commanding officer and and really your HR department is congress who decides what the rules are um, that that you that you need to live by so i think those are two major challenges the the the, the service that keeps you apart and the fact that you don't necessarily have someone um, you know outside of your chain of command that you can go and complain to uh, about these these issues
2: mm-hmm. yeah and i i love that, you know, it's easy to say, you know, we could talk all day about the differences and there's many, but we're also alike, you know, the general population uh, from a societal lens uh, in the fact that fertility is impacting our society at large is, some of that is just simply due to uh, shifts in norms. Uh, the military is no different. As couples or as as military members, we're waiting longer to have our families. We're timing it around career advancement. We're timing it around uh, educational goals. Uh, we're certainly, you know, using uh, financial wickets as another reason to plan for that period in which you are family building, and and very much so for the military member. You know, when is the right time that I will also have support? Mm-hmm. So, with our dual military couples, they're looking at um, how do I ensure that I have childcare because um, both members, both parents, have taken an oath of service. Uh, where will I have uh, perhaps closeness to relatives or other members that can help and step in if I need to deploy? So, um, in some ways, you know, we are a lot like the general population in in that bigger societal view in which you know now we're looking at what was considered, you know, maybe a, a late, you know, family building effort in your 30s, that's really the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly as as we you look at all the challenges we face uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to building our families.
1: Yep. And and I mean, I can go in all day about insurance, but mm-hmm. when it comes to the military, obviously it's tricare. That's that's it. There's 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 no other options. Currently, what does TriCare cover in terms of assisted reproductive services?
0: Yeah, I mean, so the policy is 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 it's spelled out in a very Googleable document, and it it it's 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 spelled out in a way that is actually incredibly confusing. So you read down the document, and it seems to say, okay, if you have a um, if you have a diagnosis of infertility, if you're married. And if you um, are have a service connected injury, you could qualify for getting covered care. That's kind of true. Unfortunately, it's not the whole story. So the policy is written, as I said earlier, that Tricare, literally, it's written this way, does not cover non-coital reproductive procedures. So which means you can, if you're potentially having uh, proof with your doctor that you've been trying for a year unsuccessfully, um, which you know there's a very narrow group of people who can actually prove that, in, in you know, in our opinion and in our experience, especially in the military, you can then maybe get Clomid to help you with a natural cycle. Well, th- that that might help some people and that's you know okay. But the second you step into needing IUI, donor biology, you're a single parent, you just want to freeze your eggs potentially because you're not yet ready to be a parent or you need the full suite of IVF um, support, that is something that you are either going to get really lucky to get on a waiting list for one of six treatment facilities in the entire country that does treatment because... They are teaching hospitals, and they need to keep their reproductive endocrinologists that are on staff fully, you know, fully in practice. If you get into one of those those few those six clinics, you happen to live, be stationed nearby, you meet all these other criteria, you're married, you know, you can prove these things, your doctor signs off, all that. You're still paying for the treatment. You're just getting a bit of a discount in um, the you know some of the doctor's time. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where at the end of the day, the vast majority of military families are going out into the public marketplace, and they are paying with their own dime. And maybe there's a great clinic that has military discounts of which there are many, and we are super grateful. And if your clinic does not have a military discount, we highly recommend that you offer and publicize it. Um, and, and, and then you're, you know, you're doing what the rest of the population is despite the fact that you're likely having greater challenges in family building due to the fact that you're in the military. And that's the piece that really gets our, you know, gets us, gets us going and wanting to make change.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think what we've learned to really um, assist in our military members and their understanding of their um, health insurance, TRICARE, is to emphasize the difference between care and coverage. So as Ellen spoke to, there's very limited um, it access to care uh, for reproductive health through these six military treatment facilities. So you are you are getting access to care, but you are never covered. 100% coverage does not exist. And so that care that is provided there is um, is subsidized. So as Ellen pointed out, you're still paying out of pocket for that. And, you know, it, it as Ellen and I, you know, part of our, our mission is to the military member in the now, uh, the member who is struggling at this very moment to build their family. Uh, we we spent a lot of time uh, listening to the challenges that uh, military members have financially to pay for this care. And, you know, it, it concerns us greatly that and it's something that we want to increase awareness on that military members going to, into debt, taking out terrific loans, credit cards, um, second mortgages. Uh, that's a a national security risk. Mm-hmm. We you know we recognize that there's other measures put into place to protect the military member from uh, having financial um, jeopardy. And yet you know here we are without access to this essential care in the treatment of a disease, infertility. Uh, or to assist in our readiness or other facets of military life when when it intersects with family building and and all of that is
1: is really paid for out of pocket mm. And then let's talk into or bring in even the subject. I know we keep talking about the military members, but what about the spouses and the partners of the military members who are the ones that actually have the fertility issues? It might not be the service member themselves, it could be your partner or your spouse. And what options do they have? You know, both of you weren't necessarily in the military, although, mm-hmm. yes, your spouses were. So, By that right, you were, but you didn't choose to, you know, raise your hand per se and say, I'm willing to to do this for this country. But your partner did. But you were the ones
0: potentially that had the issue. And I'm just generalizing here. So what do you do then? Well, I mean again, you there's there's uh, you know, there's the intricacies of military healthcare where some military spouses have chosen to have sort of the full suite of military healthcare, um Tricare Prime it's called, but and then and then there's an option where you can go out in town and have copays and and you know, there's limitations can you access military doctors well only if you have a certain type of healthcare insurance. So those are intricacies that the general population doesn't necessarily need to 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 get in the weeds with, but what I think is the 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 interesting um, comment is that you know you you recognize. When you're there, that you need help with fertility. Katie has a has a funny line, which is that you don't marry someone in the military and read the Tricare benefits before you walk down the aisle <laughs> to say, "Ah, let's see here, what am I going to get?" And you yeah. don't do that. You don't do that in the civilian world either. You don't right. say, "Wait a minute here, before we get married, what kind of benefits does your company have?" You know. So, so I think um, that that's that's just one of those things where you you are you are you know you do in many ways. If you marry someone who's active duty and you know they're active duty, you choose a life of of service in a certain manner. Um, you you know your partner is is likely going to be uh you know separated from you for times and then like i said you don't always know that you have this pre-existing or newly existing fertility challenge to deal with and so you're sitting there on this new information that's really 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 important for a major life choice and event that you that you want to have um and 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 it, and it can be incredibly debilitating and devastating and i think this is where we um hope that the american public can understand that you know when you You say thank you for your service, and then you go back and see that your congressperson has not voted to allow military families to have coverage for their fertility health care. You, you, how do you, you know, how do we justify that? And I don't think I think the vast majority of, Amer- of Americans do not know that this is no. the case that military families are struggling with. And we believe strongly that the American public really does want to support the troops. They really do. And we we feel it. You know, we we feel that that gratitude. But what's what's not matched is then the knowledge that there's of some major policy issues that aren't being met by by our our current, you know, our, our our current written law and and healthcare.
1: Yep. Well, and let's let's talk about the the bill, um, the Veteran Families Health Services Act of 2021, which is a bill your organization is working to pass. Um, what would this bill do for military families?
0: Well, so this, the current piece of legislation that was introduced by Senator Patty Murray, along with Senator Duckworth, a bunch of other senators, and in the House by Representative Larson. Um, so it was a bicameral piece of legislation was, is, is an incredibly comprehensive, um, you know, change to, to fully cover military members and military families for their fertility and family building, uh, care, both fertility health care and for adoption. And, and we are a hundred percent supportive of, of the notion that there are leaders in congress that see that this is a massive hole in in what we're providing as as benefits to military families you know you, when you're in the military you are sort of you know you you're, you are underpaid relative to what your skills are in the in the general public you're volunteering you're choosing to serve and so i think there's a lot of leaders in congress who understand that if if you know if we're not keeping up with re, you know the 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 type of health care benefits that keep people interested in staying in the military we're not going to keep people in the military long term. Um, And so so for this particular piece of legislation, it it just so happens that it's all, um, it's bicameral, it's both houses, but it's all Democrats. And so without Republican support on this legislation, we don't think that it's going to be able to go anywhere other than this incredible piece of legislation being introduced. We're hoping that in the next couple of years, we can as, as the new organization that's the first one of its kind on this issue for military, active military members and families, we're hoping that we can see bipartisan support for this issue and not see it just because hey we 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 want to support a you know a narrow group of people or whatever but see it as, as as a military retention and a military readiness objective um you know it sounds really sweet that a g- bunch of of you know con- congressional leaders want to support our troops it's not actually just really sweet it's really strategic and it's really important for the american public to help Get behind this on both sides of the aisle, and see this as a way that we are doing right by our military and ensuring that we still have an all volunteer force that's ready to fight. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, we we looked at this issue from the very beginning as something that you know we really had to um, support. You know, really in an argument uh, for war fighting. Uh, it's, that sounds like a. A little bit of a stretch when you're thinking about how do we, you know, make babies? But, uh, the truth is, you know, we, we did the research. We understand the parameters. Uh, this is about a war on talent. If, if the military is not offering, um, you know, reproductive health care as part of the essential care, you're not going to keep your top talent. They are going to, to leave and, and certainly find more attractive, um, organizations to, to work for. in the name of getting that type of care. Um, you know we, we recognize that it is also a, a, a retention and readiness issue. Uh, the readiness piece uh, through cryopreservation is uh, incredibly impactful. and and as Ellen and I have pointed out, you know, the economics, the American taxpayer is paying for this already. by not having this type of care included, uh, we, we know this is costing uh, our, our bottom line with um, loss of talent, and, and not to mention just the incredible healthcare costs that then come with uh, the lack of coverage. Uh, Ellen and I both had twins in the NICU uh, for a significant amount of time, and um, the NICU is the most expensive part mm-hmm. of any hospital. So So by not thinking strategically and thinking smart about this, uh, we are paying for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also interesting, Ellen, to mention, and you did a good job summarizing the Veterans Family Health um, Services Act. Um, though it starts with veterans, it is it was written intended for our active duty component as well. And is it it is exciting to be working with this coalition currently? Uh, with ASRM and resolve to to really look at a bipartisan approach to this, but there are obstacles. Uh, I think it's really important to ask. Well, wait a minute. Everything you're you're saying makes so much sense. Why why yeah. is it that the military member does not have access to this? What what are the barriers?
1: And. Well- We can jump in, but uh, I want to pose uh, that question. Well, well, yes, and please, and I do want you to answer that. And I also wanted to make a point, too, of you know with organizations and private companies and so on not maybe not necessarily on a yearly basis but in a continuous basis they're always looking at the benefits what be, what, what benefits can we provide to our employer employees so that they want to stay so that That's they're right. engaged so that they mm-hmm. you know want to work for us mm-hmm. and you would think that it would be the same thing for the military and also going to a point that ellen also had made about Right now, it's just more so on the Democratic side and not on the Republican side where, and this is what definitely frustrates me about this country, is everything has to be politicized. This shouldn't be a political issue. It shouldn't be a political issue. This should not be a political issue whatsoever. It is black and white. They serve this country to protect this country. It's the least that we can do.
2: Yeah, it's a great, I mean, you know, I'm glad we're getting you fired up because uh, I think Ellen and I spend, you know, (laughs) 85% of our time at our top, you know, sort of, you know, level of, of, um, you know, getting excited. You know, there's a great art it's the right to serve, but not to carry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really interesting that you know we're we're sitting here with uh, something that does attach itself to um, some stigma. Uh, I know in the military members we support, uh, this has been a silent problem. You know, it, it is hard to talk about fertility. It is hard to talk about your reproductive health. But I, I you know, Ellen and I are you know silence no longer. This is an equity issue. Uh, an equality issue, inclusivity. It's, it's a diversity issue. And, you know, all of those, this is the right time to, to look at it straight on, head on. And, and get our arms around it and put it out to, to Congress and to the American people to support us in this change. Ellen, did you work? Yeah. With you?
0: Well, I was going to say that, you know, there's the, the, there's the, the traditional barriers to legislation that covers comprehensive fertility and family building are, are the anti-choice movement conflating science with, with, with a, you know, a conception of life. And and then there's a there's definitely a, a, a sort of anti-LGBTQ um, element to the to the pushback on this. And of course, you know, we're happy to talk about the fact that we have plenty of active-duty um, LGBTQ members who are serving honorably for our country and doing that work on behalf of all of us. And so we are fully in favor of full equality in family building for all of those families. We we have worked with a number of same-sex uh, families who've been successful in family building. In the military, and if you can imagine what the uphill battle for that is, um, and and that people are still serving honorably while still raising children, you know, it's we 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 look at those people as 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 doing, uh, you know, obviously the same, not only not only the work that, that 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 our our partners are doing, but but doing it with this additional burden, um, and and st- and still succeeding, which is incredible. But also, you know, the we, we were we were two military spouses. Trying desperately to have children, and when the anti-choice argument flies in my face um, as someone who was just desperate to have a a live birth, if you will, to 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 use a medical term, you know it's it's pretty rich. And and I I you know. I look forward to the day when, when we can maybe face that head on, you know, with any congressional pushback because I'm I'm happy again to tell the story of of being, you know, with my husband in a combat zone and me um having a stillborn and being told that my medical option, which turns out was a great medical option. Uh, would be the way to have children, but then being told no that that wouldn't be covered because of some ideologue's view of what of what they want to you know call their congressperson about it. It get it reminds us that what we need is the alternative voices that listen to this podcast, um, calling their congresspeople and saying why aren't you supporting the military and family mm-hmm. building?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it also reminds you that the people that are in the military they're human beings, mm-hmm. and we are all born with the uh, dna makeup to want to procreate it doesn't matter if you're military it doesn't matter if you're part of the lgbt community it doesn't matter if you're black it doesn't matter if you're white right it, it is in our dna makeup and the yep. fact that you have to jump through hurdles to be able to do that i mean is is absolutely Really, it's ridiculous that you. It's ridiculous, and not that I don't mind you guys being on the podcast. Obviously, mm. I chose it, <laughs> but at the same time, that that we that we have to have these conversations, yeah. and, that, and that again, it goes back to being uh, an issue where you know one party is saying yes, let's do this, and another party is saying no. So it, it it's it's just kind of really mind boggling. Well,
2: you know, you you said it so well. This shouldn't be a political issue, and right. and that really rests as the the top line and the bottom line Uh, ellen speaks really well to this other topic and and when you were you know mentioning dna you know it's interesting to be a a military family and to recognize what that dna is also with respect to the oath of service Um, we you know statistically uh the majority of military members come from military families Mm -hmm. and so if if we are not um shaping and and pushing to have a um policy that supports a force of the future right uh, to really look at uh the the youngest cohorts of of military service members today and say we need to change this policy for them to have the families they want for tomorrow we will actually be impacting um you know our ability to look at having an all-volunteer force mm-hmm. uh, my husband and i both come from military families and we both you know have siblings that have served and married into military families and and that's that's exactly that point you know if we're limiting our military member from growing the families they want to grow where are we really looking at finding um, mm. you know the future uh, mm-hmm. because it, you do grow up and and you're already sort of pre-aligned with the altruism and the concept that service is a natural part of perhaps your your family's principles
1: mm-hmm You know, going back to um, you had already touched on it, that there are only six military medical treatment facilities in the country that offer the full range of fertility Mm -hmm. procedures. Um, And if a service member and their spouse are not located near one of these facilities, obviously they have to travel to wherever they are using their vacation time or requesting temporary duty um, at that location. What can someone do if they're in that situation currently
2: so this is really really challenging and and i i think it it's worthwhile to say it's 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 not easy to get into those clinics there's criteria and wait lists and they also operate distinct from each other so each of those mtfs um, kind of have their own um they can shut down they can change policy during covid um, many of them were closed uh, then many reopened only serving the active duty military member before a spouse could be um, looked at. It's also um, they're looking at criteria that doesn't really apply to the fertility marketplace. So there's an age cutoff of, of 39, uh, which by the way, at 39 is is when you definitely need access to a fertility. Mm-hmm. So it's ironic. Um, there are requirements that you are married. Again, um, looking at you know various different know what is that really rooted in why why would a single military member not have access to uh, understanding their re- reproductive health or getting access to advanced reproductive care to become a parent a solo parent you know there's there's things there that um, there's no donor biology so you you must have possession of a uterus uh, you must um, you know, you must be married to uh, your source of sperm. Those are are not even in the least close to uh, how the the current fertility marketplace uh, is functioning. So again, you know, as Ellen explained, these are derivatives of of the fact that these clinics are contracted within our hospitals so that they can remain teaching hospitals or and and keep that um, licensing and, and uh, curriculum in place. Uh, so. Well, but the desperation for care, of course, is that um, it's subsidized. So an IVF cycle in town might cost $14,000 and your range out of pocket paid in front, up front, everything's up front in, in these clinics is somewhere between eight or 10000 That
1: savings is a lot to the military member. But the fact that it's even that much is just unreal. I mean obviously i can imagine one of the reasons why TRICARE doesn't cover much is when it comes to fertility care is ultimately the perceived cost of care right yeah and you know and but And that just even goes to insurance as a whole about this perceived cost of, well, it's fertility and so it must be expensive. And so therefore we can't afford to pay for it. But I feel like wouldn't it be more cost effective for family billing to be covered for military families so that you can actually control
0: more of that cost as opposed to just assuming that it's unreachable right yeah and i mean the, the the other side of all of this is that unlike costs in any other sort of healthcare marketplace we are i mean companies consider retention as part of their cost benefit analysis and 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 the american public has to consider that times you know times what i mean these are these are highly trained people you are not Taking someone who has served, you know, when they were a, a young person for a couple of years, done done their service, which is awesome, and we are so psyched to, to have anyone who who joins the military. But those are not the 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 you know those that big group, that big cohort of people who who serve for you know five, 10 years are not the population of people that's then um, looking for advanced reproductive treatment. We're talking about people who are serving both officers and enlisted people in in our military who are serving for 10, 15, 20 years. And because of their service, potentially, they found a partner later, or they've been exposed to things that have made their fertility challenged, or they've been flying so much that they can't get pregnant um, while they're flying. And so they haven't been able to have a baby yet. And so we're talking about populations of people who are are our most valuable assets in the military, who we most want to keep in the military because they are highly trained, highly competent. And you know, when even even just to take women in that case we have a diversity challenge at the top we have a we have a, a you know a a, a pyramid um, process to getting to leadership and at every stage people are cut from that process and if you're giving women more and more of a reason to get out because they cannot possibly manage having a baby um be, you know becoming a parent and staying in the military then of course you're not going to have women in senior leadership in, in the military and so you know we're looking everyone loves to talk about how we want diversity in the military especially gender diversity um you know and and of course all, all diversity believe me we're 100% supportive of all diversity but this is one area where gender diversity is is intentionally limited because you are not supporting uh, the these these very you know widely available technologies to be accessed by people who have already served for quite some time, and so are of course the ones that that, that we most should want to give these benefits to. Mm-hmm. Well, and
1: it, and it also goes back to your point about. I don't think that the vast majority of, of the citizens in this country are really, under, really, they don't really understand the military. They know there's branches. They know that, you know, they protect and serve the country. That's probably where it is. That's probably where it ends. They don't really know the intricacies of the military and how it works and all of the various things that go on. And quite frankly, until I met my husband... Um, And he educated me about the process. I had no idea. I had no clue. So the vast majority don't. And probably the vast majority have no idea that none of this is covered. They don't, you know, and especially if you're not experiencing infertility, it's not really a forethought, right? It's not something that you think about. It's not something that is in your mind. It's not really relevant to you. It's like, oh, yeah. Whatever I had my kids. No big deal. No, no problem. Let me move on. Um, but, I, you know, I want you guys to share to the masses of like, why is this so important for everybody, not just military, for everybody to care about the fact that service members, their families, veterans, what have you, um, have the ability to be able to get assistance and not have to worry about Oh my God! Um, I need an additional ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars to be able to, you know, try another round of IVF, and now I have to go and pay this, you know, eighteen percent interest rate on our credit card in order to be able to do this. That's such
2: a good question, Ellen. I'm going to let you answer the body of that, but I I really want to um, share with you that um, very early on in our our critical thinking around that very question, why does this matter? Not not. Not just because of all the pain points we've made already, but why does it matter to the public sector? And Ellen and I, you know, firmly believe that uh, the you know getting our defense department having the military provide um, access and coverage for this essential care uh, is the it's the it's the change maker. It is where you know right now I think we only have 16 states that require uh, insurance policies that are held in that state. To provide coverage. So at 19, large, 19, 19 states,
1: great. Mm-hmm. As of um, April of
2: 2021, it's 19. That's great. Yeah, we yeah. were tracking uh, I think New York and um you know, a, a few other states that were coming in right on the heels of that. So when we realized that this care is, is still not available for everyone, then you know, we really said, Well, what is the role that um the mil- military has in, in this? And what we recognized is it it's the domino that topples everyone else. Mm-hmm. So if if we can look at changing our TRICARE care policy to be inclusive of treatment without the need for a diagnosis, which limits many, it would limit Ellen and I, it limits our same-sex members. It's it, you know, we want access to reproductive health care, period. And if we can look at the military providing that care and coverage, then What changes next is the federal government. After that, it's the Affordable Care Act. After that, it's every state that follows behind that. Mm -hmm. Um, and looking
0: at this as really the, the standard of care, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also will say that, you know, the, uh, the American public, I think, even though uh, the uh, sort of intricacies of military life are not widely known because the military is such a small portion of the population, you know, a lot of people Really do support the military. A lot of people have veterans in their families. There's a big chunk of the population who has some connection to a veteran, a grandfather, you know, somebody. And, and, and I think most people can wrap their mind around the idea that if you're a military family and you either the, the mom or the dad is military and you have a very, uh, you know uh, sort of unpredictable schedule you should we should offer some sort of child care i mean people agree with that that that's not you know because your life is a little crazy um and and we're asking you to just get up and leave sometimes then then child care is covered okay that's that's one thing housing i mean there's there's a ton of military housing that's covered there are programs to ensure that military families can't get kicked out of their housing so you know if you all of a sudden uh, or, or, or that they can leave their housing on a dime so like for example if you have to move very Very quickly instead of having to owe that rent, you know, military members have. So there's a lot of things that the American public does actually do that that really supports military readiness and military family life, right? So we have supermarkets, we have, you know, there's all these special things, right? And and no one questions those things. And if they do, the explanation that look, military life is really challenging, let's make this little part of it a little bit easier. That's very the vast majority of the american public totally gets behind that which is really cool and here is a gaping hole Mm -hmm. in your readiness your ability to serve look when you're when you're a person deployed overseas and and your spouse back home is is now unable to continue trying to have a baby because if you did continue without your partner you'd have to pay out of pocket and it's too much to pay for that's pretty good that's that's a pretty big thing to carry around weighing on your mind when you're trying to do your job deployed overseas. Mm. If you are, you know, a military family member who is just at the point of being able to adopt a child and then oh my god we have to move and we have to start back at zero again. Or you've made embryos and you have to move across the country, and those embryos are going to stay back there. Or you're in the middle of, of of you know some sort of IUI and all of a sudden you have to move, and you can't. I mean, that is really going to hurt your ability to focus on your job and and serve in the way that that we need our military to serve. And so every time I say this to you know any member of of any citizen of our country, it is so obvious to the citizenry that this level of challenge is is an insane burden. For our members who are choosing to serve to carry. And yet, somehow the conversation goes back to well, somehow it's going to cost the taxpayer a dollar. Well, yeah, it, it, you know, at some point it might require a change in the way we look at military spending in some slight way, but it will save us in the end to continue with a volunteer force and keep this incredible talent that we have serving uh instead of out, you know, flying flying for for a civilian airline um, you know, instead of flying off the off an aircraft carrier for our security. Yeah. And let's
1: remember like the military they're actually human beings you know so they they breathe they feel <laughs> they do everything like any other human does so
0: well you know it's it's funny the american public loves to see the homecoming story okay. they love those videos i mean every single person listening to this podcast has seen a video of a dad or mom showing up at the school and they and the kid doesn't know they're showing up and everyone's crying. And you just hope the kid runs to you instead of runs away, because sometimes that does happen. But everyone, I mean, America loves that. We watch that all the time. America's loving the stories right now of the US soldiers in Afghanistan holding those babies that are being mm-hmm. put over the fence. Mm-hmm. America loves those stories. Mm-hmm. What you don't forget is does that man or woman in uniform holding that baby, are they struggling with having their own baby at home? Is that mm-hmm. breaking their heart? Mm-hmm. Are they missing their baby at home? Yeah, if they have one, they're missing. Is, is there a homecoming story where while the husband was away, like in my case, the the, the, the woman lost the pregnancy and now isn't pregnant anymore? I mean, that's the thing we're, we want the American public to remember, that for every homecoming story, there's probably a story of a lot of pain and a lot of loss that you're not seeing. And that's why we believe that the American citizens do want to step up and support the military in this process.
2: Yeah, we, we say, you know, no one's coming in the door from a deployment, uh, rushing in to read their, you know, um, constitution. It's, this is, yeah, they're, they're looking to be reunited with their family. Mm -hmm. That, that is the number one focus of anyone returning home. And so family, you know, Ellen and I are, um, you know, committed to defining that very broadly. Uh, but, you know, to, to think that the military member doesn't have access to support for that, building that family in any, you know, shape or form that isn't conventional and and easily done through a coital reproduction, you know, there's something terribly outdated about mm-hmm. that. And, you know, we we've spent a lot of time talking about assisted reproduction, but of course in the world of adoption, and Ellen, Ellen has has mentioned this and in, in many of her comments, you know, the hardship there is 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 equally as terrific, just as much um, do it yourself. You're completely on your own. Uh, There is a very, very, very small credit uh, that you can file for once you've completed a successful adoption, but it is a fraction, fraction Mm. uh, of the cost of adoption to most military members. Um, There's some great statistics that really uh, look at the next generation's interest in family building and And there is a a great interest in in adoption as as the way in which um, same sex uh, marriages build families. So we really need to um, revisit this, you know, and and build upon you know this platform, Um, and and really you know supporting the military member in all facets. I think it's interesting. As Ellen mentioned, you know, we've got home loans and we have free tax returns um, support in so many other areas of our life. But try your hardest to go on base and find a single workshop, a single source where people are being invited to come together, military members, and, and share in knowledge and resources. Uh, we use all sorts of different um, ways in which education is brought out to the military member and you know, at the inception of our, our nonprofit, Ellen and I scoured you know the, the the websites for you know is anyone hosting anything like this? Mm-hmm. And and the answer was there was nothing.
1: <laughs> well, I, I can't thank you guys enough for what you're doing. Um, is there any final words that you would like to share?
0: Well, we we. We would love and invite everyone, especially interested and passionate citizens who hear this, to to follow us um on all social media platforms. We are at Building Mill Fams um, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And and you know, we are we are targeting obviously. The awareness of military members to know that we exist and to we're out there, we're 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 actively trying to make change and advocacy, and we're trying to stand up and start programs that help military members today. Um, so, if you have a, a company, um, or you have a fertility business, um, or you're a, a you know a donor interested in anything fertility related, um, we would love the support. We're militaryfamilybuilding.org. and and so I think you know there are so many ways that. We believe that citizens can help us help the military, and that once that change happens, as Katie explained, the military will then really help the civilian world. Because once the policy changes, um, you know, to to really open this this care up for military families, we believe that that will help really grow the the space and in, in for for all citizens, and that that will make care better for everyone. You know, the, the military has a history of doing that um, when when military care uh, goes in, you know, to a certain area. It rapidly innovates and and makes uh, care better for for the rest of the citizens. So we we really believe that that will happen in the fertility space too. So you know as much as this could be an area where it's your your philanthropy and your and your kind heart that supports the troops, um, we think that that there's a lot of benefit um, to the to the whole population and especially the whole community of of, of family building um, once the military does get this care and coverage.
2: And I would say you know um, on that. On that note, you know, thank you so much for having us as your guests, uh, for advocating with us, for being in it in this fight with us side by side. You know, we we use a phrase um, that we can move out at the speed of trust, and um, you know, that's that's most definitely felt in um, our setting with you. And so, you know, thank you for having us, giving us a chance to to share our passion, our knowledge, and and our advocacy. Uh, for family building with the military
1: well uh thank you for joining me today and and um, all of the information that you shared i'll definitely be adding that into our show notes but um i mean this is definitely something that needs to be discussed it needs to be talked about but more than just discussing it and more than just talking about it because i think that's what we love to do in this country we just talk and discuss and nothing gets done something needs to get done um you know there's there's enough talk. There's enough discussion. Let's actually pull the trigger um, and actually get something finished and, and accomplished. So thank you ladies for joining me today. I so appreciate your time. And and again, and I'll be sure to, make, um, to add all of your information in our show notes so that the guests can also go out there and support you too.
0: Thank oh, you so thank much you. for having us. Our pleasure being
1: here. I hope you found this discussion helpful as you weigh your next steps. We would love for you to rate us, So if you haven't yet, go to your listening platform of choice and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Five-star reviews are our favorites. You can follow Fertility Cafe on its Instagram and Facebook channel, Family Inceptions. We'd also love you to share Fertility Cafe with friends and family members who would benefit from the information shared. Join us next week for another conversation on modern family building. Thank you so much for joining me today. Remember, love has no limits. Neither should parenthood.
0: Thank you for joining us in the Fertility
1: Cafe. Whether you're an intended parent, a woman considering egg donation, thinking of becoming a surrogate yourself, or a friend or family member of someone dealing with infertility, we're here to help. Visit our website, thefertilitycafe.com for
0: resources on fertility, alternative family building, and making this journey your own.